Welcome, everyone. Morning. Glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here, because you're here. And I'm glad you're tuned in on Facebook. I know a lot of people are there as well. But I'm glad to bring this message called The Rules. Anybody taking a guess as to who the backdrop there is of the picture? That the, the first Ten Commandments movie? Yeah, Charlton Heston. Uh, I just want you to know that I fished on the same lake as Charlton Heston, just so you know that. Like he used to, he grew up in St. Helen, Michigan, so I, I was on the same lake out there. We caught the same fish, I bet. We got something in common. Charlton Heston, of course, appeared in this movie where the Ten Commandments, the rules, if you will, that uh, God had given to his people. Of course, you're going to find out there was a lot more than ten. We started last week, I told you that Jesus was famous for three reasons. He gave out free Happy Meals. He cured whatever ailed you. He cured a lot of people when he was on this earth. And then he taught like no other. And one of the most famous teachings that he gave was on the side of a hill that we call the Sermon on the Mount, or for short for mountain. It wasn't really a mountain, it was more of a hill. And 2,000 years later, people are still repeating some of those words that he said, like an eye for an eye. Right, you've heard that expression before, or turn the other cheek, or go the extra mile. Those are words that Jesus said. We'll look at those today. Last week began with a message called the Beatitudes, which means the blessings. And the Beatitudes, I told you, a blessing from God. If you want the Beatitude, what did I tell you? Check your attitude. That's right. You want the beatitude? Check your attitude because your attitude is the aroma of your heart. And if your attitude stinks, well, your heart is not right. But today we look at these rules. I taught for 16 years in the public high school. I know about rules. And I love the first day of school when I would get my New students walking into my classroom, usually about 30 students that would come into my class, and I would love meeting them and, uh, and, and working with them and teaching them. But when they walked in for the very first time, they had on their mind seven questions that I knew for sure they wanted to know the answer to. I'm sure they had lots of other questions, but there were seven questions, the most common questions, and I would put those right up on the board, and I would go over them the first day of class. Because I knew you might have been a long time since you've been in school. All right, but some are here today, and they're, they're just, they know what I'm talking about because they still go to school. But when you go in, you got these seven questions that you wonder. And uh, I wonder if you could just guess what, like when you walk into a classroom for the first time, what's the first thing that you want to know? Just shout it out. I'm just curious. Homework? Yeah, that's... Where's the bathroom? Where do I sit? Yeah, these are questions you have. And uh, generally, I always have the teenagers that never say a word the whole semester. Notice the teenagers didn't respond to any of those questions? That's okay. We, we love you anyway. Yeah, number one question actually... Um, is, am I in the right place? Am I in the right place? Believe it or not, 
I would have students come in and get the hour wrong or just maybe get the classroom wrong. And they'd be in there for about 10 minutes and I would take roll eventually and they wouldn't hear their name and then they'd realize, oh man, I'm not in the right room. Nothing more embarrassing than having to get up and walk out. Of course, some wouldn't even get up and walk out. They'd just stay because they're so embarrassed and they don't want to do it. Did that ever happen to you before? You're in the wrong place and you just hang out until it's over and you just find a way to duck out? Number two, where, did I, where do I sit? Where do I sit? Um, personally, I would always let them pick their seats the first week, find out who my chatty Cathy's are, and then I would make the seating chart and split them up. Wasn't I mean? But wise, I think. All right? You were probably one of those, like, oh, I hated that. I want to sit with my friends. Third, what are the rules? Heard one of them right there off the bat. They want to know how many bathroom passes they can get. Right? Or, 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 or what, will you let me sleep? You know, what are the rules? All right? Number four, what will I do this year? And they weren't really thinking, like, what kind of math are you going to teach me? They were really thinking, like, are you going to keep me awake? Like, is this going to be engaging? Like, what are we going to do in here? That's a question they ask. I trust me, there's a point behind all of this, so hang in there with me. Fifth, how will I be graded? For some, the question was motivated by, what's the least amount of work I can do so I don't get grounded? And others, it was, man, how do I get an A? Because I got to keep my GPA up. I got to get into that college. Six, who is this guy? Who is this teacher? And I would share with them, Every time, who I am, my family, I would show pictures, I would tell them my hobbies, and I would always let them know up front, even though we were in a public high school, I'd tell them I'm a Christian, and I would, I would let them know that right away. Later on, they would find out that I'm actually a pastor, and they were shocked that I was a pastor. But you don't wear a collar, and you're married. Listen, we're not all Catholic, okay? I know there's a lot of us, but... Anyway, number seven, how will he treat me? And I would let him know three things I'd always say to him. I will be firm, but I'll be fair, and I'll be fun. Those are my three things that I would talk to him about, about treating him. But as I thought about those questions, I thought, you know what? That's really not any different than someone who walks into a church for the first time. I think they have the same questions on their mind when they first walk in to a church. And you may have been coming to Life of Purpose so long, you already know the answer to all those questions. But I guarantee when you first came, you were thinking those questions. And I thought for our newer folks, because we always have new folks coming, they might want to know the answer to these questions. So number one, are you in the right place? Believe it or not, we've had people come and then come to find out they were invited to the church one block over. Some of them walked out about 10 minutes in, and some of them stuck around because they didn't want to walk out, and they, they wanted to be polite. But just in case, welcome to Life of Purpose Christian Church. Just want to make sure you're in the right place. Number two, where do you sit? Well, we don't have any sacred pews in this place or chairs, but some people like, you know, creatures of habit. We tend to pick our spots. We like to know you know, hey, that's my seat. You know, I get there early and make sure I can sit there. What will you do? Well, I'll ask you the question. Do you think, if you've been here a little while, you probably know the answer. I hope you know the answer. Are we expecting you to sit and be entertained and watch? Or are we expecting you to serve when you come here at Life of Purpose? Sit or serve? Tell the person next to you if you know the answer to that question. I hope we get it right. 
Did you say serve? Yeah. Yeah. We, we're not a church to entertain you. I'm not up here to, to uh, put on a performance for you, and the, and the music was intended to draw you in and help you worship. Um, and we serve one another, and we serve um, the community as well. So, how will I be graded? Or as adults like to say, judged. How will I be judged? I think one of the greatest qualities here at Life of Purpose is we don't really care what color your skin is. We don't care where you live. We don't care how much money you make. We love you like Jesus loves you. And that's the way we've always been, and it's, makes, it's made us very genuine, and people pick up on that right away. Who is this teacher, this pastor? Who am I? Will you like me and my family? All I can say is, what's not, like, what's not to like? I mean, come on. Firm, fair, and fun. That's how I'll treat you. But we will all treat you with love, with mercy, and most importantly, with grace. That's how we treat each other around here. So I hope this was helpful to anyone new that's watching or, or is here, and you might have had those questions. But more than anything, I hope our regulars will be mindful of this, that when new folks come in, they want to know the answers to these questions. These are on their mind. And they need to understand that, you know, we're a church here um, for everyone. This isn't a clique. We're not here just for one another. We're constantly trying to reach out and let people know that God loves them and that when we gather as the church, the body of Christ, we do that because we want to help people get closer to God. We want to help you understand the Bible. That's my role. One of my roles. And we want you to know how to love each other. Because that's what the church is. That's what we do. The church is not a building. It is the body of Jesus Christ. And people are struggling. They need God in their life. They need to know that he loves them. They need grace and mercy. And they need to know what his plan is for them. So I want to encourage our regulars that when you invite, not if, when you invite your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, be ready to answer these questions for them. Be ready to help them. And if some of your friends are directionally challenged, go pick them up and sit with them. You got the two first questions answered then if you do that, or at least meet them in the parking lot and then help them find a seat. The third question I did skip on purpose, and that is the rules. What are the rules here at Life of Purpose? And that's the title of this message, What Are the Rules? Because you know every church has its rules. If you've ever been in a different church before, you've picked up on the fact that they have rules. They may be in writing, or they may just kind of be unspoken. right? And you figured out the rules probably after a little while of being there, because you might have done something and somebody said, hmm, we don't do that here. Or you may have not done something and they told you, oh, you should do this. Or maybe they didn't say anything, they just gave you that look. There's always a few in the church that give that look. We used to get it when our kids would run around. That look. Like, kids don't run around in church. Well, we just let our kids give them a little longer leash than maybe some. We want them to have fun and not feel like they were under a microscope as the pastor's kids growing up. And now they're serving, and so I think we did it right on that part. 
The rules are established by the leaders in the church. And more importantly, you probably know this because you have your own household, and if you have children, then you know this to be true. The rules that matter are the rules that are enforced. Right? If you don't enforce the rules, then they don't really stick. They're not really rules. And kids know this. They pick up on this quick. So how do you make an effective rule? You have to enforce it. Did you know in Judaism, there are over 600 rules? Can you imagine? We have those rules written in the Bible. You can see them. In the Old Testament, Moses, you know, I told you there was more than 10. There were over 600. And you wonder, why did God give so many rules to his people? A couple reasons. Number one, he wanted to set them apart. Right? As a chosen people. Number two, he wanted to protect them. The same reason you give rules to your children. To protect them. And the third reason, I'm sure there's lots of them, but a third reason that he gave the rules, the commands, if you will, didn't really come to light until Jesus came to life. till he was born. Imagine living in a community, maybe a church culture, if you will, that had to enforce 600 rules. Can you imagine that? What that would be like if you came to church and there were 600 rules. Now what happened with these rules? Since leaders like rabbis were human and they would have to, in a lot of times, interpret the rules or enforce the rules, they would tend to tweak the rules. And so you have years and years and years and years of tweaking the rules, and now they become twisted. So much so that the purpose of the rule just went missing. Like they began to not understand why that rule was there. So get this. Jesus is born, and he grows up learning these rules. But he knows the purpose of the rule. Yet he sees what it's become. And remember, back in January, if you were here, you know when I preached on Jesus being 12, being a teenager, just before his bar mitzvah, if you will, he was, uh, stayed behind in the temple, and his parents had to go back for him, and they said, why, why did you do this? And he says, because I must be about my father's business, because that was the point in his life. At 12 years old, he understood God's plan for his life, his mission, what he was about to do, but yet he submitted to his parents for the next 18 years. Probably worked with his father, a carpenter. For 18 years, Jesus watched people abuse the rules, live by these twisted rules, and not live by the, the point or the purpose of those rules. So here Jesus is in the second year of his ministry, and he's addressing the rules, finally going to let them understand why all the commandments What's the purpose of these rules? And he mentions six specific rules here in chapter 5 of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about the correct way to obey them. He doesn't have time to talk about all 600 rules. He doesn't need to. He just brings up six of them because he wants them to see his point. And that's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see the point that Jesus is making with the rules. What are these rules? Because honestly, it's, I think it's critical for your relationship with God. 
For you to draw closer to God, you have to understand the point of the rules, the commandments. Every church member needs to understand this. Because if you get it wrong, you could become a Pharisee. Now, if you know your Bible at all, if you've read the New Testament, you know Pharisees, in the eyes of Jesus, were not, they were not good people. Which is kind of crazy, because that's what they were trying to be. I actually feel sorry for the Pharisees. They get such a bad rap, but they were really just trying to be super religious, pious, and holy. They were trying to get closer to God, but they were trying to do it by obeying the rules. And they missed the most important part about getting closer to God, and that is you have a relationship with God. You don't do it through your obedience. You do it through your relationship with him. And they missed that. They, 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 they turned, really, Judaism into a works-based religion. And Jesus didn't approve of that at all. So here we are. I'm going to show you the point of Jesus talking about the rules. What are these rules for? And then I'm going to help you apply them to your life. Does that sound good? All right, now we open up our Bible. Verse by verse, start in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 17, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen. We start in verse 17 of chapter 5. Jesus says these words, right after the Beatitudes, the blessings. Blessed are you, we saw those last week. He says in verse 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, that statement right there, we'll pause right there and we'll stay on that for a minute. Verse 17, the law and the prophets is a way of saying the Old Testament. Basically, that's what the Old Testament is full of. It's full of the law and all of the prophets. Now, Jesus is saying to them, I've not come to throw out the law and the prophets. I'm not not here to get rid of the Old Testament. I'm not lowering the bar. I'm fulfilling it. I'm actually raising the bar. As you'll see. Verse 18, he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, here you may find this fascinating. Iota is the tenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And when written, it is the smallest letter of the alphabet. The dot, or in some translations, the tittle, It's a fun word, all right? It's the smallest punctuation mark. So Jesus is saying, not the smallest letter in the alphabet, not the smallest punctuation mark will be thrown out, but yet it's all important. Scribes, that word scribe is like the word scribble, like they are the writers, the copiers of the the, the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. They had an intense training. It didn't finish until they were 40 years old. Their job was to, to, to transfer or to make manuscripts, copies of the originals. And if just a little mark, a dot, a tittle, if just a one letter, an iota, was off on the paper, Then it was thrown out. It was not used. Their job 
was very important. I think you're going to like this. Until 1947, the oldest manuscripts of the Old Testament that we had were from about 900 A.D. 900 A.D., right? After, well, I don't know the Latin word for it. I'm sure some of you might know it. But 900 A.D., you know, I work with my son with his, his social studies. They call it B.C. or B.C.E. and C.E. now, Common Era and before Common Era. But we know it as if you grew up like, you know, my, if you're in my generation or you just, you just know B.C. and A.D., am I right? B.C. and A.D. sound more common? Okay, there we go. So anyway, A.D., 900 A.D. That's the oldest manuscripts that we had until a boy went into a cave by the Dead Sea and discovered, a huge discovery, but the Dead Sea Scrolls are dated around 100 B.C. A thousand years earlier. With this spectacular discovery, what we have is manuscripts of the originals a thousand years earlier than we ever had before. And here's the beauty of it. Over a thousand years, the differences in the two manuscripts, minimal, minuscule, a couple grammatical errors. They're almost identical. So what does that tell you? These scribes did their job very well. And when we have the Bible today, what we have in our hands, or on our phones, or on our uh, iPads, or whatever, our tablets, what we have is the original words of the author. That's what you have. You're reading what they wrote. Because they were that meticulous. And the findings of the Dead Sea Scrolls proves that. A thousand years of making copies and nothing changed. Now Jesus says, not an iota, not a dot will be removed. Removed from what? What's he talking about? So we keep going. Verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And here's the verse that I think really just must... I mean, you can't read this without your eyes getting huge as saucers. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What? What did he just say? The scribes and the Pharisees knew every single law. You could be a scribe and a Pharisee, by the way. A scribe was a job, right? A Pharisee was based on your religious um, choice. So here's these people that know the law perfectly, and they try to obey it perfectly. They're pious, holy people. Everyone knew it. Just imagine yourself sitting on the side of the hill, listening to these words of Jesus teach, you know your lifestyle, you know you're not pious and holy like the scribes and the Pharisees, and Jesus says, you have to be better than them if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. As a father, you look over to your family and say, pack it up, kids, we're doomed. We're out of here. Let's go. We can't do better. It's not possible. We're in trouble. But if they stick around, they see six examples that Jesus mentions, and then they get his point. 
Well, hopefully they get his point. Let me tell you the six examples, because oftentimes there are sermons about these six examples, and um, sometimes I think when we preach on these six examples, again, we miss the point. The point of why do we do that? Well, we'll get to that at the end. So let's look at them real quick. Matthew 5.21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of those of old. So this is how Jesus says all of these, by the way. He says, This is what you know. This is what's in the law and the prophets. And then he quotes, right, the Deuteronomy or right, the first five books in the Bible or the Pentateuch, they call them, or the, the, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, New, um, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He quotes from there. Um, and he says the first one, You shall not murder... Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now that one is in what I call the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, you're not supposed to murder someone. Well, still carries on today, right? But Matthew 5.22, the next verse, Jesus says, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. If you're angry with someone... Well, I'm guilty of that. Anybody else guilty of getting angry with someone? <clears throat> You've just committed murder. That's what Jesus says. We've all broken one of the Ten Commandments. Verse 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Another one from the Big Ten. Verse 28, he says, I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, you may see a beautiful person and you may glance at that person. That's not committing adultery. But if you gaze, now you've committed adultery in your heart. Because you're gazing, you're lusting at them. Verse 31, Jesus says, It is said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This rule was badly abused by the men in their culture at that time. They would write a certificate of divorce for any reason that they wanted to justify not being in that marriage anymore. They would just write it. But the only justification that's in Deuteronomy, which is what Jesus says here in Matthew, is for sexual immorality. Verse 32, I say to you, anyone, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and if you marry a divorced woman, you commit adultery. Divorce rates, 50%, whether you're a Christian or not. I doubt that all of those are for sexual immorality. So many of us are guilty of that. Verse 33, again, you have heard it was said, those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. If you make a promise, just make the promise. Don't swear in your mother's eyes, your mother's grave, whatever you've heard people say in the past. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's all you need to do, Jesus says, to be perfect. Verse 38. Here's the part that we talked about that you're familiar with probably. You've heard what's said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So back then, it was, you know, if, if, you, if you took someone's eye out, well, then you had to have your eye taken out. Right? If, if you, you know, broke someone's arm, you had to have your arm broken. It's a retaliation, right? But I say to you, he says, goes on to say, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other, your left. 
If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak too. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Roman soldiers were allowed to force the Jewish people to carry their gear one mile by law. Jesus says, no, go two miles. Go the extra mile, as we like to say. A a revenge, a retaliation. Jesus says, don't retaliate. Don't take revenge. How many relationships would be in good standing today if we didn't take revenge? If we didn't retaliate? Finally, verse 43, you've heard it was said that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Boy, I bet that was a tough one to swallow. Right? Perfect obedience requires unconditional love. And then Jesus ends this with this emphatic statement, verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Not possible, right? Not possible. And that's the point he's making. Jesus is saying, you can't obey the law perfectly to enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees have been trying to do it. It's not working. Here's what they did. They put the bar where they thought that they could achieve it. They twisted those rules and lowered the bar to where they thought they could achieve it so that they could get to heaven. And Jesus raised the bar so high, nobody could achieve it. Because that's what God did when he gave them. They're not possible. So what is the purpose then of them? Why do we have the law and the prophets? What's the reason that I mentioned earlier that Jesus brought to light? They're a tutor. Paul says it best in Galatians. Paul says that the law, the commandments, are to teach you that you need Jesus. Bottom line. That's what they're there for. Let me take you to Galatians 3, verses 23 through 26. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. And when you look up that word, it's a Greek word, pedagogus, which is very similar to a word that we use in teaching, pedagogy. It's a teacher. That's the best translation. Until Christ came. In order that we might be justified By faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under this teacher. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The righteous live by faith. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. In Christ alone. There's two kinds of religions in the world today, folks. Two kinds of religion. There's Christianity and all the rest. Because Christianity says... You are saved by what God did for you. What Christ did on the cross. And then there's all the other religions which are works-based. What man does. Make a pilgrimage. Say the right prayers. So on and so forth. Even Christians, though, make that mistake sometimes. Churches 
all over the world sometimes do what happened in Judaism. They tell you, you know, you got to come to church on Sunday, you got to adhere to the rules, say the right prayers, get baptized, whatever. But I'm telling you that nothing you can do will earn your way into heaven. Jesus made that clear right here with these rules. It's impossible. The purpose of the rules, the commandments, are not to earn salvation. They are simply to help you become more like God. When you make a decision, I remember a long time ago hearing um, David Robinson played in the NBA. The dancers would come out. If you've ever been to a, uh, a game, uh, an NBA game, you know the dancers come out and they're wearing hardly anything. And they do their dance and, and everybody loves it and cheers and all that. David Robinson was a Christian man and he would avert his eyes when they would come out. He would lower his eyes and he would not watch them out there. He was trying to be more like God. He wasn't trying to earn his way to heaven. He was just trying to be more like God. Jesus gives you six examples here of how you can be more like God, how you can strive for perfection. Scott gave a a little talk about offering, giving last week before we took up our offering, before we prayed for the offering. And in our... um, in our uh, building last week was a retired missionary couple from Virginia. Now, missionaries have been in lots of different churches. They've heard lots of giving talks. They sometimes give the talks themselves because they are supported by people to do missions all over the world. And they had been all over Europe. And it was interesting that afterwards I got a chance to talk with them. And the wife shared that she had never heard a talk like Scott had given. And it actually prompted her to give. Now you might be wondering, what was that talk? You might be thinking to yourself, oh man, I wish I would have been paying attention to that part. But I think what resonated with her, and I'll give you the answer to that question, is what did Scott say that that made a difference to her? It was the fact that he didn't say there's a one-size-fits-all rule in this church. You give as God tells you to give. We don't say in this church that you give 10%, which is what the word tithe means of your income. We don't say, and I've had people ask, you know, they want that rule, do I give 10% of my net or 10% of my gross? They want the rule, right? It's not to give a tithe and an offering. The rule is to give what God tells you to give. I always say start with 10% and go from there. Because the more you give, the more God gives you. In many ways, not just financial ways. I know it's much easier if we just tell you the rules. I know you'd love it if I would just tell you this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. But that doesn't work for every person. Because what if we had a rule in this church there's no alcohol? Some churches say no alcohol. Some churches say you can have a little alcohol. Jesus turned water into wine. But for an alcoholic, a little is a problem because it leads to a lot. In verses uh, Romans 14, 21, it says it's good not to eat or meat or drink wine or do anything that would cause your brother to stumble. 
So there's not a rule for everyone. And if you ask me, what's the rule on this? Because everybody asks me, because I'm the pastor, and they want to know, what's the rule? Come on, tell me the rule. I'm just going to ask you right back, why are you asking? Are you trying to lower the bar so you can justify your actions? Because you need to be raising the bar so you can honor and glorify God. That's the question you need to ask. Will my actions glorify God? Because that's what it's all about. That's the point of the rules. They're impossible to obey. The bar's so stinking high, you'll never get there. But if you try to get there to, to honor God and glorify Him, then congratulations. You're glorifying God. You're doing the right thing. The rules, they're everywhere. In the New Testament, you see, there's not anything that you're going through or that you have a question about that's not in the Bible. The purpose, they're in there. You just have to look them up. So you might be thinking, you know, I've had lots of discussions with people over the years. Should I get divorced is a question that comes up. Well, let's look at what the Word says. Let's look at it together. Let's talk about it. And let's see what God is saying to you. You know, should I... Should I have sex with my boyfriend? Should I have sex with my girlfriend before marriage? Let's look at what the Word says. Let's see what God is saying to you. Should I fudge my taxes? Let's look at what the Word says. Let's pray about it. Let's see what God is saying to you. Should I share that really juicy secret that I have? Let's look at what the Word says. Let's see what God is saying to you. It's all in here, folks. It's all in the Word of God. You just have to look it up. Yeah, and if you need help, I'll help you. Look it up. It's not hard. But let's not ask, what's the rule so I can toe the line, so I can lower the bar to justify my actions? Let's always ask, right, will my actions glorify God? I want to obey this. I want to get this right so I bring glory to God. When we approach the rules that way, we're in good, good shape. Amen? I'm going to ask uh, our team to come up for our final song, and I'm just going to pray right now uh, for you all, and just, just take some time to let this sink in. This is a lot to think about, but I, I pray it will be a blessing to you, and I pray this church will, will not be legalistic in any manner, but we're not to be liberal and say we can do whatever we want to do. Because our goal is to honor and glorify God. Let's pray. God, thank you for today's message. May it speak to my own heart. May I not justify things and lower the bar. But may we raise the bar and honor you and want to glorify you. And Father, help us to to seek you and follow you. Uh, We do that simply by reading our Bible and, and just letting it change us doesn't just give us information, it it transforms us. God, today your word may have touched a nerve, but that's a good thing, because that means you're speaking to our hearts, and we need to respond, and the way we respond is with worship. We respond by obeying you and honoring you, and making the change, if there's a change that needs to be made. So I pray for those that are thinking about something in their life right now, something that the Holy Spirit has brought 
to their attention. Something in their life that they know has just not been honoring you, God. I pray they would just surrender that to you. Just put that at the foot of your cross and trust in you and your son Jesus in Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.